0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org slash sermons where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. The word love has become something of a contested term in recent years. We've often had difficulty really articulating what we mean by love. I think many of us assume we do, but sometimes we struggle to get really clear on what that means, and sometimes great miscommunications happen because one person's using the word love in one way, and another person's using it in another way. I distinctly remember early in my ministry, uh, when I was an intern at my home church, and I was doing some work in youth ministry. And I remember some of the students talking about how they considered love to be an emotion. And I remember thinking there's something that doesn't really fit in that way of thinking. Perhaps there's a sense in which love is an emotion, Maybe there's something going on there, but surely that's not the only way to talk about love. Surely there's something else going on. Surely when the Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself in love for us, He had a variety of emotional experiences, some quite negative. Surely He didn't want to do it. Surely there was all sorts of things going on there. But love meant not sort of going with the waxing and waning of His emotions, but committing to do what was necessary and right, regardless of how he feels. And so at one level, when we think about love, and we're going to see in a moment how in 1 John chapter 3, love is defined in relation to the cross of Jesus. But that surely cannot be completely explained in terms of emotion. There's got to be something else going on there. I don't feel like doing this, I don't want to, but I'm resolved to because it's the right thing to do. There's a difference there. More recently, love has come to be thought of as pure self-affirmation. If you love me, you will affirm me. If you love me, you'll let me do what I want to do. If you love me, whatever I think is best for me, you will give your blessing to that. You don't have to go far to see examples of this. You can look in entertainment. You can look in social media. You can look on the news media. If you love me, you'll affirm me and my autonomy and my sovereignty over myself and my decisions and my preferences. Now, anyone who has kids knows that love is not pure affirmation of someone. Anyone who has children knows that sometimes your kids do things, and you need to correct them because you love them. Son, I cannot affirm what you're doing right now, but I love you, so I'm going to teach and instruct and disciple you. Sometimes we've learned that love means saying no, that's a bad idea. No, that's a dangerous thing to do. No, that passes over a boundary that's unsafe. Amen, parents? And so we can't just say that love is pure affirmation. It certainly involves that at times. But as much as it means saying yes, it also sometimes means saying no. So how do we define love? How do we understand what love is all about? And we come to the Scriptures and we get some very clear language around what love is. And so if we have any interest whatsoever in what it means to love someone or to experience love, if we have any interest whatsoever in how God talks about love and how Jesus embodies love, if we have any interest in these things, we want to reckon with what the Scriptures say. What do we mean by love? And the thing that we discover, if we want to get clear on what love is, in its essence, the thing that we discover is that we find that in Jesus. And when we look at Jesus to find out what love is we discover that the essence of love is self-giving not self-gratifying say that one more time the essence of love is self-giving not self-gratifying and how do we know this we know this by looking at jesus first john chapter 3 verse 16 we know Love by this. We know love by this that He, Jesus, laid down His life for us. There's an implication in the rest of the sentence we ought to lay down our lives. one another. We'll get to that in just a minute. For now, we want to focus on Jesus and the role that He plays in defining, and not only defining, but embodying. Crucial part of the message there. Jesus embodies perfect love for us. John would have us turn our eyes to Jesus. And not just the things He did while He was alive, certainly those. John would have us look at the day when Jesus' arms were stretched across the cross of a Roman cross. John would have us look at the face of Jesus pierced with thorns. And the back of Jesus torn by flogging. The hands and feet of Jesus pierced by nails. And says, if you want to know what love is, look at Him. You may think, Someone doesn't love Me because they don't affirm Me. You may think, well, I love that person today. I may not love them tomorrow because my emotional life may change. And John wants us to see there is this consistency of Jesus, where on the one hand, precisely because He does not affirm things in our life, He lays His down. Precisely because there is brokenness. And precisely because there is rebellion. And precisely because there is darkness that cannot be overlooked, that cannot simply be rubber-stamped, that cannot be affirmed, it must be confessed and redeemed and atoned for precisely because there are things in our life that God cannot affirm, Jesus bleeds. And His commitment to bleed doesn't depend on his mood, does it? (laughs) His commitment to give himself does not depend on his emotional state. It's striking when you think about Jesus' mood or his emotional state. You read through the Gospels and you see Him in Gethsemane. There's a guy that doesn't want it. There's part of his psychology, part of his emotional life, part of his being, that it doesn't want to go forward. Thanks be to God, His love for us is not defined in, by those aspects. Thanks be to God, His love for us is not defined by anything other than His unwavering commitment to give Himself for the other. And this is one of the ways that Jesus, the Son of God, embodies God for us. One of the stunning things about who God is and we're going to talk about this more as we get into John 1 John chapter 4. John's just going to keep circling back around to this God is love. God is love. God is love. Jesus embodies the reality that God is love and one of the ways that we can think about this is to think about what God was like before God made anything. Because we, we can talk about God in a lot of different ways, right? And He's revealed Himself in different sort of ways. We can talk about Him as Creator, for one. But when we talk about God as Creator, aren't we really talking about God in reference to us and the world? We're defining God truly, but we're defining Him in relation to ourselves. Who has gone to me? Well, He's my Creator. We can define Him as a Redeemer. Once again, though, we're doing that in relation to who? It's kind of an egocentric way. It's, not, it's true, it's not false, but it's still very, let me define God in relation to me and what He's done for me and, and like what I get out of it. He redeems me. Less comforting, we can define him as a judge. Once again, to whom are we defining? Like in relation to whom are we defining him? Ourselves. We can call him sovereign. Sovereign over what? Sovereign over everything he has made. Once again, we're defining him in relation to ourselves, truly, but. The technical term is anthropocentrically, if if you're into that sort of thing. It just means around us, around human beings. We We can even talk about the ways he's revealed himself as the good shepherd, who looks after his sheep. But again, that role is defined how? Around the sheep. Around us, so the question then becomes: Like, is there a way to talk about God not in relation to us? Is there a way to talk about God in relation to Himself? And what? And if there is, what would the word be? And so maybe we can do a little thought experiment. What would it be like to think about God the moment before, or an eternity before He said, "Let there be light"? Right before anything was made, before there was anything over which to be sovereign, before God related to anything as a Creator, whether it's sun, moon, stars, human beings, birds, bugs, whatever. Before that, before He related to anything as Creator, how do we talk about God? Before He's a Redeemer? Before there's any sin that has to be dealt with? How do we talk about God? Is there some aspect of his character that defines him according to him, not according to me? Not that the way he relates to me is false. It's true. Just repeat that one time. But is there a way to get at the essence of his being, the heart of who he is? Well, there's one thing we can say before God related to anyone as judge, before God related to anyone as creator, before God related to anyone as redeemer, before God related to anyone as a good shepherd, the Father loved the Son and the Spirit. The Son loved the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit loved the Father and the Son. And that's why John can say, God is love. And that's why John can say, if you want to know what love looks like, look at Jesus. Because Jesus, on the cross, embodies a reality that is true about God, not simply in relation to us. Obviously, it is in relation to us in this expression on the cross. But it was true of God before any of us were made. It's something that was true about God before there was a world to be made. It's something that was true about God forever past and will be true about Him forever future. God is love. And the appropriate adjective for God's love is perfect. Because there's no deficiency in the Father's love for the Son. There's no deficiency in the Son's love for the Father and the Spirit. And there's no deficiency in the Spirit's love for the Father and the Son. No deficiency. It is perfect. It is eternal. It has no beginning. It has no ending. It is never less. It is never more. It is always consistent. It is perfect. Who is God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to one another? Perfect love. Therefore, we know love by this. He laid down His life for us. The essence of love. The essence of love is self-giving, not self-gratifying. And that's why love sometimes says, no. And that's why love says, I'll give myself when I'm really angry and don't want to, when my emotional life is a wreck, my commitment to love, perfect love, is consistent. I want you to notice how self-denial is a part of this, but it's not enough. Self denial is a, an ingredient of self giving, but it's not enough. When I was writing this sermon, sitting around Thursday morning, kind of thinking through some of these, and I was toying around with the bottom line, and sometimes I'll kind of get out a, a legal pad and I'll scratch something out at the top and think, nah, that's not quite, that's not quite the right way to get this. If there's only going to be one point, it needs to be the right point, right? And so, there's an option, but that's not quite where it is. And here's maybe we could mark that out and refine it and do a little editing, and sometimes it comes a little more quickly, and sometimes you got to fight for it a little bit. And I started out Thursday with a sentence that says, the essence of love is self-denial, not self-gratification, or something like that. And I thought, that's pretty good, self-denial, I mean, Jesus, right? Take up your cross and follow, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. There's that say no to your preferences, say no to your agenda, like you've got to bring everything, deny that and put it under my agenda. And that's that's pretty good, but I was reminded of something C.S. Lewis once said, he said we really shouldn't define a thing only by what it's not. We need to define something by what it is. And he was particularly talking about the Christian virtue of charity or love. Charity is just an older word for love. And he was specifically talking about how sometimes we talk about Christianity purely as a negative, like just deny yourself, just, just put yourself on the back burner. And, and we've kind of stopped talking about positive virtue formation in love and just talked about how you need to kind of whip yourself into shape. And Lewis said, that's not, that's not, that's good, but it's not enough. Like the essence of the gospel is not a negation, it's a giving. Say that again. The essence of the gospel is not a negation, it's a giving. Jesus doesn't merely deny himself, he does. But more than that, he gives himself, which is a positive commitment to. Do something to invest your life in the good of another. We're not just, when we're talking about love, we're not just saying, No, I'm gonna, I don't wanna do this, but I love this person, so I'll deny myself. Yes, the question is, Am I invested? And Jesus, when he goes to the cross, he goes through Gethsemane, he denies himself. That's true. But not only does He deny Himself, He gives Himself. He is fully invested in everything He's doing. And you see this in His posture on the cross. A posture of other-oriented love. A posture that didn't seek the evil of those who sought to do Him evil. A posture that interceded for those who sinned against Him. A posture that says, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. A posture that... Speaks words of comfort to the dying next to Him. Like, imagine what it would be like to have your flesh ripped apart and still be filled to these, with so much other-oriented, self-giving love that you look at the person next to you. You are in grueling, torturous pain and you look at the person next to you and offer words of comfort. Today you'll be with me. That's not just self denial, is it? It's not just saying no. It's saying yes to self giving. I'm going to take the fullness of my being and be fully invested in what God wants me to do in His church and in His world. And that's why the essence of love is self giving. We live in a world where the essence of love is self-gratifying. I love this, so I'm going to do it. I love this, so I'm going to do it. If you love me, you'll let me do it. Sometimes our love and our affections are offered to the wrong object. Sometimes our love and our affections are offered to sin. We need to be real about the fact that when we choose to sin, we're choosing to love our sin more than we love Jesus. That's why John holds these two side by side. This great contrast, love and hate. And again, you think, you know, like John, is it really necessary (laughs) to use this kind of language, this strong language? If you're not loving, you're hating. And again, John, he gets this big, almost hyperbolic terminology, this just stunning stark contrast to make the point to prompt self-diagnosis. And one of the ways he does that is with the example of Cain. Cain provides, right, if Jesus is the positive example of what self-giving love looks like, Cain is the negative example of self-gratification. Self-love. I'm going to do this because it's my preference. I'm going to do this because I'm offended. I'm going to get my way. I'm going to deal with the people who are in my way. And so John says, verse 12 We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And that's following on this statement. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. Earlier, he talked about that in chapter 2. The message you've heard from the beginning is the message of Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 34 love one another. John follows that up with another commandment. Don't love the world or the things of the world. And now he's fleshing this out. Primary example of one who doesn't love Jesus and doesn't love his brother, who does love the world, who does love the things of the world, is Cain. So if we roll back to Genesis chapter 4, I'm just gonna, it's, it's about a paragraph, so I just, I'm going to read this, this for you. Now, Abel, this is Genesis 4, verse 2. Abel was a keeper of sheep. This is Adam and Eve's two sons. And remember what God told Adam <laughs> if you eat that fruit, what's going to happen? Like death is going to become an issue big time. And it's going to be much more serious than you've even begun to imagine. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. Abel does livestock Cain produces crops In the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel for his part brought the firstlings of his flock their fat portions and the Lord had regard for Abel the fat portions and his offering but for Cain and his offering he had no regard So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell, right? So first of all, God says, hey, there's an issue here. And what's Cain's first response? Anger. Why don't you just accept me the way I present myself, God? This is what I prefer to offer you. This is the way I want to worship you. And God's response is, you don't really worship me the way you want to. You worship me the way I require That's an issue for a lot of us. (laughs) Like we think worship is about our preferences, style, music, sermon length, all these kinds of things. God says, worship is about my preferences, not yours. So Cain gets told by God that his worship preferences are unacceptable. How about that? So Cain was angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't you be accepted? So here's God, right? Not retaliating, but trying to shepherd. Hey, man, like this is space for some repentance, some growth. I'm not smacking you around, I'm not striking you down, I'm not lashing out in the fury of my wrath. I'm asking questions to provoke repentance. That's what's happening happening here, isn't it? Cain was angry. His countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't you be accepted? So we we don't get a lot of detail about what the problem is, but clearly, Cain is somehow not offering his best. And he's not offering God what God requires. He's got something else, something second best, something less than best, something that... He's defined as fine, but God apparently has problems with. And God's word to him is, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Sin is lurking at the door, and it desires you. What if that was our morning devotional every day? (laughs) Just get up and put that bad boy on your mirror when you go start getting ready for the day. and Sin is lurking at your door. Its desire is to master you, to devour you. What are you going to do? Cain decided to be mastered by his sin, didn't he? And he lured his brother into the field and there killed him. John says, look at what it looks like when self-gratification rules the day. And look at the opportunities that Cain had for repentance before he got to bloodshed. But there was this, I'm going to have my way. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to insist on my preferences. I'm going to insist on my worship agenda. I'm going to insist on my worship practices. Even if God Himself tells me it should be otherwise. Even if God Himself gives me another chance. I'm going to insist on my way. John tells us there's some jealousy involved. Why does God favor him and not me? Why does He get what... Why does he get God's favor and I don't? Why don't I have what I want? And the consequence is that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him, we are told. And John says, if you want to see... (laughs) What self-gratification looks like at its worst, you don't have to read far into the Bible to do it. Chapter 4. And so we've got these two examples, don't we? Thoroughgoing self, self-gratification, thoroughgoing self-affirmation, thoroughgoing I will decide what's right for me, and thoroughgoing self-giving Love. Thoroughgoing, self-offering. Thoroughgoing, I'm invested in what's best for you, even if it hurts. Which one is love? The essence of love is self-giving, not self-gratifying. Jesus embodies the self-giving character of the triune God. And John says, if we are His followers, we need to embody that same love. Verse 16 again, we know love by this. He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for one another. Right. So there's this, Jesus redeems us, And he doesn't just redeem us, he embodies the character of God, and his desire is to reproduce that same character in who? All of us. His people. He laid down his life for us, therefore we should lay down our lives for one another. Our posture toward one another should not be self-gratification like Cain's was towards Abel, it should be self-giving like Jesus is towards us. And if we take that posture and start thinking about different areas of our lives, then the Holy Spirit has got some real room to work, doesn't He? He's got some real room to work. I want to talk about what that looks like in one specific area that the church has got to pay attention to in this season in which we find ourselves in. I want to suggest to you that gathering to worship in person on the Lord's day is an act of self-giving love. And here's why. To show up at a central location means setting an alarm clock, thinking about what you're going to wear, Making sure the kids have matching socks on Saturday night, <laughs> not at 8:25 on Sunday morning. That takes some discipline. It takes some self-denial because it'd be a lot easier to sit there and watch the end of the game next Saturday night than to go find those socks. I want to be clear: we continue in a crisis. COVID cases are rising. A lot of folks feel the need to stay inside in the midst of extenuating circumstances. I don't want to discourage that. At the same time, a lot of us, some of you have said to me, Preacher, I've created some bad habits. More than one. Because it's easier to just sort of get up and watch Facebook then get up and show up. This isn't bring the judgment down. It isn't, wow, a preacher's trying to hit us over the head with the Bible today. This is take a minute and think about the difference between self-gratification and self-giving. Showing up means setting an alarm clock. Showing up means loving Jesus and the church more than the snooze button in the pillow. Showing up means being present. It means being available to people to care for them. Because you never know what you're going to run into when you walk through the doors. You may be called upon to care for someone who's grieving. You may be called upon to pray for someone in need. You may be called upon to serve. Let me rephrase that. You will be called upon to serve. (laughs) Because the essence of love is self-giving, not self-gratifying. And we are in a period of time where the church will be refined. And we will all be required by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to ask ourselves on this Lord's day, will I give myself or withhold myself? I'm hopeful because my suspicion is the folks who say, you know what? I'm not going to let bad habits run my life. I'm going to give myself to Christ and his church. I'm pretty optimistic about what we can do together. John Wesley once said, I forget the exact number, I think it was 12. He said, give me 12 men who hate sin and love Jesus more than their lives and watch out. That's a paraphrase. That's not quite how he put it, but that's the gist of it. Give me 10 or 12 folks who love Jesus more than themselves and who hate sin more than you can imagine, and they will set the world on fire. And we're here as Wesleyan Methodist people, because that was true of John Wesley, and it was true of the people who joined the movement he started. They showed up for worship and folks brought tomatoes and rotten eggs and occasionally thought about killing them. When we show up, we are saying to one another, I'm giving myself to Christ and to you. I'm here for you. I'm invested in you. I'm partnered with you for the glory of Jesus and the sake of the mission, the good of the world. When we are at home, even if we're tuned in on the live stream, we are incapable of doing any of that. Hear my heart. We employ online worship options as an outreach tool and as a temporary substitute in the middle of a global crisis. The online option is never meant to be permanent for serious Christian following following of Jesus. It cannot do it. It's not an option. And all of us have to decide. Self-giving or self-gratifying. When we give ourselves as Christ has given Himself for us, He works in us to increase our confidence and give us assurance of His love for us. John says in verse 18, little children, let us love. Right? You've seen the example of Christ's love. You've seen the You've heard me say that His love should be embodied in your lives. Now, I exhort you, let us love. Not in word or speech. Don't just talk the talk to use a phrase from my adolescence. But in truth and action. Walk the walk to continue the phrase. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before Him, when you show up and you give yourself to the life of the church as an expression of love for the One who is the head of the church, Christ, when you show up and say, the mission matters and I'm on board, when you show up and you say, I give myself fully and unreservedly to the Lord Jesus Christ and everything He wants to do in this local expression of His body. What will He do? He will give you confidence and He will reassure your heart. Brothers and sisters, it's been a crazy 18 months. I feel the weight of it more than I can. Like Even now, even now, the cumulative weight of this crazy season continues to be a reality. Continues. Does your heart need to be reassured? Like, real question. In this moment, on this day, do you need Jesus to offer you some assurance of His love? Do you need the Lord Jesus Christ to offer you the assurance of His eternal, Trinitarian, perfect love? Yes? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before Him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. I don't know what to do. I've got anxiety over this situation. I thought things were getting better. Now it looks like things are getting worse. I'm second-guessing this ministry. I'm second-guessing this event. I'm not quite sure how to proceed. I don't know what to do, John says, in those moments when we feel the weight, when we feel the burden, when our hearts condemn us, if we love, if we embody the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in word only, but in our action, not as hearers of the word only, but as doers of the word also, it will reassure our hearts before Him because He's greater than our heart. Jesus desires to give you assurance. And this place, this gathering, is one of the central places where he does it. And if we cut ourselves off from the place where he gives assurance, we should never expect to have it. John is okay with tough love. (laughs) That's why he talks in these broad categories, children of God, children of the devil, love, hate. At the end of the day, his desire is that his flock, the people of God, increasingly embody the character of the man on the cross. Because... The essence of love, no matter what they tell you out there, the essence of love, no matter what they say in the media, the essence of love, no matter what happens on the big screen or the small screen or any screen, the essence of love is self-giving, not self-gratifying. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Whole, United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumcorg sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.